from 11FS. I'm Ross Gallagher and welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. Today we bring you a very special mashup of interviews that myself and my colleague Simon Taylor did at Innovate Finance's Global Summit 2018. We spoke to companies large and small and had a great day. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, we're here at the Innovate Finance Global Summit and I have the good pleasure I've been joined by Benedicte from Oval Money. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you so much for being here. The uh, Innovate Finance Global Summit in the Guildhall in London. Beautiful venue. A little bit cold outside, but hopefully uh, hopefully we can find out more about Oval Money. You're coming up to one years old, I believe. Yes. So it's like actually our third Innovate Finance. The first year we came, we were just have an idea. We just had an idea and nothing on paper. Last year, 4th of April of last year was the day we launched our app. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to do our one year anniversary. Oh, yeah. wow. So from uh, just being excited to having an idea at a hackathon to being a year old, it's, yeah. it's been a, quite a progression. So tell everybody that's listening and watching, what is Over Money? Yes, so Over Money is a, is a platform that allows everyone to become more confident about their finances. We allow people through a tool, which is a simple app, to learn how they spend and learn how to spend better uh, and to do micro savings. So every time they spend, they can put a little bit of a, you know, a few cents away. Uh, and this gets accumulated into a saving wallet onto our app. And then what we're launching in the next few weeks or months is the opportunity to allow our users to invest this money oh, into wow. a variety of different um, uh, financial products that we have selected from the market that we believe are good for them. So you would see your competitors as Moneybox and Acorns and those sorts of apps? Yes, the difference is that they've they've selected to be themselves a money manager. What we do is we go around and choose the best money managers who are already in the market and we we, we believe we're more like a platform. So like more like booking.com, let's say, of funds. Um, Interesting. And, we... and when somebody's using your app, are they signing up for your app and opening an account with you or are they uh, using their banking details through open banking PSD2 or something? So they use their banking details through open banking, uh, but the saving account is on our app. So they do both. So they open an account like a sort of a wallet. So it's a semi bank account on our app, but they also to see the transactions they use open banking. So they can continue to use their own cards. Very cool. So what markets are you in? So we're actually in the UK and also in Italy. Our app works everywhere in Europe, uh, but we haven't really scaled to be everywhere uh, yet. Uh, this is a project of the next uh, year, let's say. Uh, but yes, so the, our model allows us to scale across Europe faster. Well, we wish you every luck from the FinTech Insider and the 11FS team. Thank you so much. Thank you very Insider. much for having me. Thank you. So for FinTech Insiders, I'm here at the Crypt at the Guildhall at the Innovate Finance Global Summit with Charles Dorsey from Invest HK. Charles, how are you doing? I'm doing excellent. I am here at London D Hall with the 11FS team. It's exciting. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to have you on the show. So, um, Charles, what have you been up to? Tell us a little bit about InvestHK and um, what's been going on recently. So I work for the Hong Kong Government Promotion Agency and we designed in 2016 uh, a team dedicated to fintech. And the team is distributed between Hong Kong, London and San Francisco. And we basically engage with the most strategic technologies and, and great entrepreneurs to uh, contribute to their strategy in Asia and help them to start their business in Hong Kong. So it's a very exciting journey for the Hong Kong fintech ecosystem. It's an ecosystem which is uh, led by the private sector and supported by the government. Uh, so it brings a lot of different technologies. We work a lot on cybersecurity for finance, uh, blockchain, uh, wealth tech, reg tech are big topics for us, as well as insure tech. So it's great. So, um, you know, what you said about it being, I guess, led by the private sector and supported by government, obviously that's, that's quite an important approach. Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about the ecosystem today and, and, and I guess, you know, what you've seen so far and, and, and what it's going to look like moving forward? Sure. If you look at the history of fintech, so Hong Kong is a, is a big international uh, global financial center. And in 2014, we saw uh, rising organically as the first fintech accelerator in Hong Kong. And that was a signal for the government to keep, uh, I would say, the pulse on this type of trend in finance. And we've been supporting this, uh, this ecosystem this way uh, since, uh, since this first ecosystem, uh, this first uh, accelerator. 
today we got five fintech accelerators in Hong Kong. And one of them is the first uh, regtech accelerator. So it's very much an organic ecosystem. It's a mix and a blend of international players, mainland Chinese players. Hong Kong has been a patchwork in finance for many years, and the fintech uh, ecosystem works the same way. And so looking outwards, I guess, you know, you've talked about, I guess, um, sort of regulatory sandboxes, that sort of stuff. Where are you seeing some of the best practice globally to support with those sorts of initiatives? We, we are very much inspired by the, the UK. The UK works on fintech. The regulators, the government here has been doing a great job. It's very much opening the, I would say, the boundaries and, and pushing the innovations. Hong Kong has a very strong link historically with, uh, with the UK, as, as you know. Uh, so it's, uh, it's very much, we work very closely with the UK government. Uh, we've been working uh, very actively in the past months together with the DIT from the UK government to organize the Invest Hong Kong UK FinTech Awards. And tomorrow night you're invited uh, for the, uh, the award ceremony where we got some really fantastic uh, UK FinTech which applied uh, to basically join the program which will be an invitation to the Hong Kong FinTech Week in October and a, full, a fully packed program of uh, meetings and, uh, and opportunities to, to start their business in Asia. And so this is something I think that has defined the, the rise of FinTech globally over the last number of years, this idea of collaboration. But of course, you know, you guys are, are, are looking at was taking some best practice from the likes of the UK government, the UK regulator. But of course, I guess it's win-win, right? Because um, it opens up conversations for fintechs from the UK to also look at expanding into Asia moving forward, right? And doing that in a measured way. There is no geographical uh, competition between us. Uh, both the UK government and the Hong Kong government want their companies to expand. Um, I think fintech is also challenging for government and regulators in some ways. There is so many topics which are coming at such fast pace. So you, you need to work with, uh, with partners uh, which will be maybe having a little bit more, making some progress for, let's say, on, uh, on, on regulation technologies or cryptocurrencies and basically sharing notes to make sure you keep, you keep the rhythm. So the technology usually is faster than humans and it's the same for government and regulators. So I think we are very humble and very, very happy to collaborate with the UK and some other governments as well and regulators to make sure we, uh, we stay at the top of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think the pace of change is one of the big challenges, certainly from a regulatory perspective. Indeed. And it's really important that we, everybody works together to sort of take the best practice learnings and apply those, I guess, on a, yeah, exactly. an international scale. Um, so I guess, you know, what, what's sort of coming up for you guys in the, in, in the very near future that's, uh, that's got you excited? We are very excited about 2018 on different topics. The big one is um, our blockchain uh, trade finance infrastructure, which we are deploying uh, between seven banks in Hong Kong and the HKMA. Uh, you know, trade finance is a very big part of the, of the economy. It's full of frictions, a lot of paperwork, a lot of compliance issues. Uh, we are moving into production in Q3 this year, and by early next year, we're going to connect our blockchain trade finance infrastructure together with the Singapore one, and there is many more to come on, the, on that space. Uh, we are also uh, launching a new unified uh, QR payment system in Hong Kong, which is very important. Uh, Hong Kong is very active in terms of mobile phone wallets, but historically, there was uh, some kind of, uh, I would say, silo of different brands uh, using their different standard of QR. And um, the government decided to really make sure the, the game is open, the competition is open to all new players. So we're going to release in the coming months uh, a unified um, QR code system for Hong Kong. And the big thing also is the Hong Kong FinTech Week. It's going to be our third FinTech Week this year. And we are very excited to really push the program forward by organizing the first uh, cross-border FinTech event in the world. We're going to start as a week in Hong Kong and end up the week in Shenzhen, really mixing the Chinese fintech, which is an amazing ecosystem, together with the Hong Kong uh, fintech ecosystem. So we expect uh, 5,000 people, and it's uh, an exciting, uh, exciting event we are very actively preparing. So lots of exciting things going on, oh, yes. is the answer to the question, basically. Yeah. Um, so the first cross-border fintech event, that's really exciting. Um, and of course, you know what we touched on about um, you know, removing those silos around P2P payments. We've obviously all seen the success of, of Alipay and, um, and WeChat, but of course, opening that up to um, even greater competition is that's the point of FinTech, right? Exactly. All right, Charles, when it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for coming Thank on the Thank you so show. much for having me. Have an excellent day. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. 
Great, so we're back here at the Innovate Finance Global Summit and I'm joined by Tom. Tom, nice to have you on the show. Thank you. Uh, Tom is from Lockbox. Uh, tell us who's Lockbox. Right, so we are a financial inclusion fintech. So we're all about helping uh, those who don't have a credit history build a credit history. So if you're young, new to the country, returning expat, just haven't borrowed a lot, well, there's a massive barrier to you being able to access the sort of things that we all take for granted. Absolutely. You need to get over that credit barrier. And we said, well, actually, it shouldn't be like that. So, uh, so we created Lockbox as a way of people using the act of saving, managing a monthly savings payment as a way of building a credit history. And so what does that look like? Are they signing up for an app? Yeah, well, it's not an app. It's a web app. But I mean, the, the core product, a Lockbox, we created it. It's a digital cash redeemable savings voucher. So that we create an asset. We say, how much do you want to save over a year? We will create a voucher for that much. You can redeem that with us at any time you like. So that creates the asset. We can then finance the purchase of that for you. So if you were saving 100 pounds, but you had no credit history at all, that would do no benefit for you. Instead, we can finance the purchase interest-free. We then collect 100 pounds off you each month that we report to Experian, Equifax and Call Credits. And you're reporting that somebody is paying back yeah, every exactly, month. Exactly. And so this is creating financial inclusion for That's people right. that couldn't get credit scores yeah. before. Yeah. I mean, there's, a mass, there's millions and millions of people in the UK, regardless of choice or circumstance, that have ended up either financially excluded or at risk. So at, at the worst end, you've got people that can't get access to mobile phone contracts, basic bank accounts, the sort of stuff that really prevents social mobility. And, and at the other end, you've just got people that can't access the sort of mainstream products that you would think you should be able to get. So you were telling me before we started recording, you guys actually aren't uh, originally from London. You're not from the fintech bubble. Tell yeah, me yeah. the history of how you guys got started. Yeah, what so we what started. was the um, inspiration? So we, we started uh, back in 2014, 2015 with an idea to, to fix financial exclusion. Um, Gregor and my co-founder, so I'd worked overseas, Kazakhstan and China. Gregor was ex-KPMG, so he worked Russia in the CIS region. And we were looking at the system over here. He struggled to get credit when he came back. I'd seen it with my sister who'd left Guildford Law School, got a job in the city, yet couldn't get finance on a sofa. And we were like, well, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. So, um, so we, took what, we took an existing platform we had and, uh, and we said, can we make it about savings? We had a light bulb moment. We went out, we spoke to lenders, we spoke to banks. We said, look, you know, what, what do you want? And there was an element of financial education, so financial capability. We do it terribly over here. We don't bother educating people. So we said, well, we'll build that all into a singular product that will take someone that's outside of the financial system, bring them in. Initially, we said, well, we'll have to do that in the city. And after a year or so of being here, we're actually now split between London and Bristol in the southwest, because that's where we're from. And uh, I think that's a great testament to the fact that you know, tech's enabling us to do that. We can operate well outside of a city and still have a great business. So uh, today I've spoken to people from Italy. I've spoken to uh, people from around the world, from Hong Kong, Best Hong Kong, for instance. Uh, it's interesting to me that uh, the UK now finds itself in a position where it's definitely trying to put its best foot forward on the international stage. Yeah. FinTech is maturing and actually you can also succeed outside of London but have a footprint here as well. Yeah. Uh, we wish you every success. So where can people go to find out more about what you do at Lockbox? So the website's the best place, www.lockboxwithaq.co.uk. That confused me, L-O-Q-B-O-X. You got it, you got it. That was, uh, that was courtesy of our clever Shoreditch marketing guys in the first place when we were branding it up. We're not that cool. And they said, well, we'll do it with a Q. And actually, it's really worked. It sticks in people's mind a little bit more than, than, uh, than, than just a, a simple, straightforward spelling. We wish you every success from Fintech Society. Thank you very much. Thank you very really much. appreciate it. Cheers. Take care. I'm here with Lee Wang, head of Alipay EMEA. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the show. Nice to meet you. Thank it's you. Great to have you. Thanks for coming on. So, um, not that I imagine our guests won't know all about Alipay, but do you want to start us off by just giving us a little bit of background and, and telling us a little bit about what you guys are up to? Sure. Uh, Alipay started as a payment company in China, but nowadays Alipay is a super lifestyle app in China, and now we are bringing these services and product to global markets as well. We have more than 600 million active users on our platform. And by active user, I mean each of them use us seven times a day. Wow, and we're talking active users. Yes. So that's incredibly impressive. And um, I think I'm right in saying that Alipay is now the world's largest mobile payment platform. We are, indeed. And, and still growing. Oh, we are indeed. Yeah, so um, what's kind of going on in terms of, the, I guess, the ongoing expansion um, on a global scale? We, we have a very ambitious global growth path, uh, yeah. but for my region where I'm covering EMEA markets, yeah. for the next year, we are going to cover 20 countries. Wow. 
So for any country where you see significant Chinese traffic in terms of tourists or local Chinese consumers, we'll cover them. And recently we just launched to Dubai. Wow. So this is something that's, um, I think, only been announced very recently, the Dubai move. Yesterday. Yesterday, so very recently. Yes. And again, I mean, um, incredibly exciting, entering new markets. I guess, you know, as you guys have, have grown and you've had phenomenal success, obviously, starting out in Asia and moving out, what have been some of the challenges that you've seen as you've moved beyond China and Asia into other markets? Of course, yeah. It's, it's not easy to enter into any markets. Um, on the demand side, right, you know, you, there is a tons of education that we need to do about Alibaba, about any financial. Uh, on the supply side, on the infrastructure side, I think, you, for example, for Europe market, the smartphone penetration could be quite low compared to its Asia market. That we need to think about creative solutions, how we get around that problem, right? Um, but overall, you know, all of, all of these are technical problems and give us time, we'll come across it and we'll get conquer them. It's terrific, and I think this has been one of the key drivers of the sort of fintech growth, if you will, globally, is this sort of appetite to tackle these sorts of problems head on um, and come up with innovative solutions for overcoming them. Um, you know, I mean, I guess as we, we, we keep talking about, you know, the, the sort of growth into different markets. What can we expect to see sort of over 2018 looking at, at Europe for you guys? Uh, we have already worked with quite a few famous merchants in Europe, right? If you go to Harrods, if you go to Selfridge, or if you go to France, you will see us in Lafayette, in Paton, and if you go to Germany, you will see us in Rossmann, Gucci, Prada, all these luxury brands are active with Alipay. So for luxury brands, I think we have done a fantastic job because, you know, everyone wants Alipay and everyone wants Chinese consumers there. And what we are going to do this year is going beyond the luxury brands, right? We want to make sure other uh, services in Europe market can be brought to Chinese consumers. For example, public transportation, for example, taxis, right? For example, convenience stores. All of this, we believe Chinese consumers will be, you know, they will need the service and we will be able to contribute to the local economy as well. And of course, what stands out there is, you know, all of this, um, you know, the merchants that you're partnering with, it's, it, it, it starts with understanding your consumer, right? So it's, it's customer first. Exactly. And, and enabling your customers to be able to use Alipay, you know, where they most need it. So it's about putting it at the point of need for the customer, right? Sure. That's, I mean, you know, again, this is, this is what we're seeing and this is what's so refreshing in terms of um, that sort of fintech growth. And, you know, we touched on a, um, a little bit just before we jumped into the interview, but this idea of you guys are sort of building an ecosystem that sort of fits in with your customers' lives. So it's not just about a payment solution. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about you know, some of the other offerings that, that fit into that? Sure. You probably need to take one step back, think about what Alipay is offering in China market. In China market, Alipay has successfully done is that we can use, make a consumer living with only his cell phone and his charges, of course and with nothing else. He doesn't need his wallet, he doesn't need his ID, and he can live in China, tier one cities, for a week, com completely self-sufficient, right? No matter whether he wants to call a taxi, who wants to call a delivery, wants to use, you know, pay for a restaurant, wants to buy something for his friend, anything can be accommodated on this platform. Then in Europe, I think we are starting now, right? We entered the market two years ago. Then in Europe, we are starting to offer taxi services and other, you know, food delivery. But it, it might take some time, uh, some time to get the full service portfolio uh, comparing with what we had in China. It's so fascinating. And, you know, again, it's so refreshing just to see companies putting customers first and trying to understand that customer need. Sure. Lee, thank you so much for joining us on thank Fintech Insider. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. I'm here with James McConaughey from Peer. James, how are you doing? Very good, thanks. How are you? Great. Terrific. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Um, so Peer, as I understand it, is a sort of investment, um, a smart investments platform. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the, the background and I guess, you know, what, what got you to this point? Sure. So fundamentally, Peer stands for your personal investment assistant. And what we do is we exist to help guide investors through a process of understanding about investing. And we do that via kind of innovative education, really trying to be very interactive with the way that we de deliver that education. Um, 
the investor then is also provided with a wide choice of, of investment products from lots of different providers, ranging from a direct investment platform through to robo-advisors or potentially something more alternative. Um, and then on top of all of that, we engage the customer via a, a machine learning kind of companion called Peer. Uh, and Peer basically learns from your interactions with the site, asks you questions, but also responds to any questions you might have about investing to then be able to refine and, I guess, focus in on the areas that you might want to learn about as an investor uh, to give you that confidence, then go on to make your first investment or make your next investment. So that's terrific. So I think what I'm getting out of it is that the, the core elements, I guess, of you guys is offering is the education piece. Um, but you, you guys also seem to be delivering a more kind of tailored or bespoke um, service to users. Is that, is that fair to say with the AI element? Absolutely. You know, the key for us is, and we, we spent a lot of time over the summer speaking to uh, focus groups that, that we'd pulled together around understanding what they wanted. And I, I think the feeling from them was they wanted a service that was much more relevant to them, that was felt like it was almost tailored uh, for their needs and, and their, their kind of understanding of what investment, investment is. There's no point providing someone with a load of information and content about uh, a particular form of investment that's, that's nowhere near relevant for what they're after. So what Peer does is learns from both the knowledge and insight that the investors shown by engaging with Peer as, as, the, as the AI companion, but also how they're using the site, and then refines the content and the educational material that is being displayed to them as a user. It's interesting, isn't it? And, 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 you know, we know that there's a market out there for this. Um, we've seen other providers, other digital providers like Wealthsimple, for example, you know, 40 or 45% of their customer base are, had never invested before. Um, a similar figure are millennials. And, you know, I suppose investments typically have been a slightly more complex financial um, product. And I think there's been a layer of, I guess, complexity, but intimidation around that. So I guess you guys are going... Um, down the road of sort of trying to strip that back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we want to break investment down and, and make it very easy for somebody to understand, make them really understand how it's relevant for them and important for them to invest as well, and do that from a way that is unbiased, you know, from an independent position rather than necessarily from an investment provider that, that is coming in from their angle. And that's the key thing in the role of a sort of aggregator. It's, I suppose, winning customer trust, um, giving them the tools that they need to make the right decision, and then showing them the options. Absolutely. You know, it's about it, it, exactly that. And, and being able to be as on the money and as up to date as possible, so relevant in terms of the content that we're pulling on and pulling in. And that is, again, how we'll use machine learning. You know, understanding what are the trends going on in the marketplace and then develop and tailor our content so that it's really focused in on what people are talking about in the space at any one point in time. And that smart element is key, isn't it? Particularly when we're talking about financial wellness and helping people get, you know, more for their money. And, and, and you know, we've got those tools now, like Peer, where we, we didn't have them in the past. Absolutely. You know, we're in a, in a great situation in a lot of ways for an investor because there's so much choice. And, and a lot of that investment product is tailored at people that are maybe new to investing, which is fantastic. But to, we need to navigate through that choice. And, and what Peer really is to, to well, why Peer really exists is to help people on that journey, be the arm around the shoulder really on taking them through that process and getting them to feel confident so they can make their first investment. I love that. That's terrific. And so, you know, obviously we're here at the Innovate Finance Global Summit. Um, I imagine you guys are having lots of exciting conversations. What's kind of next in the sort of near future? I, I, you guys are still pre-launch, right? Yeah, we're pre-launch. So we're now in the cycle of, of building out the product. So speaking to um, lots of focus groups that we're, we're forming to bring together to just feedback the product, show them what's going on um, and, and really get people uh, I guess shaping the product in a way that really suits them and really benefits them. Um, we're pitching tomorrow at the Pitch360 event, which is a great opportunity for us to be able to showcase Peer and get it out there more broadly. And you know, we're really at the start of a very exciting journey that we want to bring on as many people from that are new to investing, also experienced investors alike, on this journey with us, so that they can, uh, I guess, help shape it so that the product suits them. I love it. You guys are at the start of a very exciting journey, and I think that sort of customer first approach that even you're showing in terms of actually designing products um, you know I think you guys have got an exciting uh, exciting journey ahead well I hope so thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a real pleasure thank you for having me cheers we wanted to let you know that if you love this show how about seeing it live we're going to be at Money 2020 Europe in Amsterdam this June and we're bringing Fintech Insider live with us We'll be bringing the podcast to the main stage right before the drinks reception and you can be there. Sign up for tickets now. Go to europe.money2020.com forward slash register and use discount code 
1811FS. That's 1811FS to get 200 euros off the ticket price. So at the Innovate Finance Global Summit for FinTech Insider, I'm here with Marik from Circle. Marik, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Very good. How are you? Good. Really good. We're delighted to have you. Thank you for coming on the show. So um, I guess, do you want to kick us off by just telling us a little bit about the background of Circle? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Circle was founded in 2013 by Jeremy Allaire and Sean Neville on the premises that actually with blockchain, you can fundamentally change the way money moves around. Um, and to date, we actually have four different products. So Circle Pay, which is the app mainly for millennial consumers, you might know about Sure, it. like text payments, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like you yeah. just know someone's email address, a phone number, and you can send them money, whether they're in pound, in euro, or in US dollar. So that's our mainstream product. Um, we've recently launched in the US Circle Invest, which is a product that enables millennials again, but to invest in crypto without a cryptic. Um, and then our third product, we made an announcement recently um, about Poloniex. We yep. bought an, a platform, uh, an exchange Poloniex, which enables crypto to crypto, um, which is basically our third product. And then our fourth product, Circle Trade, for B2B consumers. Wow. So like a lot going on. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely a lot. That, that's so exciting. Okay, so I've got a couple of things. So um, Circle Pay I love because it moves payments away from like, being hidden within, I guess, a digital banking interface to actually putting it at the sort of point of need for customers. Because you're texting people, right? That's the most natural way to send the money. Yeah, that's payment. the idea, right? It's like, why would you actually want to know someone's IBAN if you can actually know, you know, just their email address or phone number? Why also would it take time for you to say, oh, I owe you a pound, well, I can't really owe yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you have friends like that. You I, know, like I, I, yeah, it. I owe you. I will get around yeah, to it. Yeah. I will make that payment. It's just, it's a lot of work now because I have to go in my bank, like all that sort of stuff. So just positioning at the point of conversation. Exactly, and we also make natural. that like really as fun as a conversation. So you can add images, GIFs, and all of that to make it like conversational. Yeah, exactly, it should be conversational. Yeah. Um, so that's super cool. And then I just wanted to pick on what, what you said about um, the crypto space. Did you say crypto without the cryptic? Yes, imagine that. <laughs> I love that, that's terrific as a tagline. Yeah, there's really a lot um, happening in crypto right now, but the yeah. problem is to understand what's going on. And if you're a consumer, you might be interested in it, but actually you don't really know, should you invest, should you not invest, what does that mean? Um, so there's a lot of work that can be done to actually reassure people and to make them understand what it is and what it is not, right? So is this, I guess, education's a kind of key part of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Education is a key part of that and making sure that people can have the confidence but also the knowledge necessary for them to do the right investment. I love that. So I guess, you know, um, you guys have launched, what, four great products in the space of a handful of years. I mean, there's a lot going on. So do you want to talk a little bit about the sort of the circle vision and, and, and how they all come together to, I guess, create a sort of ecosystem? Yeah, absolutely. Um, imagine a world where you can actually create and share value completely differently, right? Where everything becomes tokenized and therefore blockchain is at the core of everything we do. Um, imagine also a world where all platforms can be um, interconnected and interoperable, right? So it doesn't matter. Today, you may be on CirclePay, but maybe you can actually send money to a WeChat or to a Alipay. Maybe you invest via Circle Invest, maybe you invest via other platform, but all of that becomes part of your ecosystem. So what we fundamentally believe at Circle is that there is a new way to create and share value and that a lot of that can actually be leveraged by blockchain technology. That's terrific. So it's, it, it is just changing that underlying technology and it's, it's moving everything onto blockchain and... Yeah, it's that and at the core of it, changing things for consumer, right? Creating a new type of consumer finance because it's actually easier for them and it fundamentally makes their life better. And opening it up and making sure we're moving away from the sort of silos that we see at the moment. And, you know, you use WeChat's a great example or Alipay. And it's very easy to trade or send money if, if, if someone else is also a WeChat or an Alipay customer. But opening that up and making sure that customers can make those transactions across brands and across silos, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, same way, for example, I don't know, you might be on Gmail, maybe I'm on Yahoo, if we send each other an email, we'll receive it, right? Today, with money, so it doesn't work like that. Uh, with money apps, it doesn't work like that either, right? So there is definitely a place for the world to work just like the internet works. And it's, it's an infrastructure problem, it's a, right? Absolutely. It's about yeah. updating that, opening it up. And I guess, realistically, the reality is that the customer wins. Yes, at the end of the day, because things become faster, cheaper, better for the customer, yeah. definitely the customer is going to be the winner in that. More choice. And, and like you said, just ease, convenience. Um, and this, I think this is one of the things that's really come out of the sort of fintech revolution. We've seen so much around open banking in particular. Um, 
you know, like, I guess fostering that competition encourages providers to come up with innovative ways of doing things um, to the benefit of the customer. Yeah, absolutely. I think open banking is an interesting one, right? Because, yeah. yes, opening your data via APIs is definitely a good first step. But if you think in a place and in a world where um, technologies like blockchain can actually leapfrog everything, I don't know, you know how long that will last, but definitely enabling platforms to have access so that consumers can have better, cheaper product is definitely a very good step forward. It's exciting. So we've talked about, you know, the various products that um, you guys have sort of rolled out, I suppose, to now. Um, I know Circle Invest is only in the US. Have you guys got plans to sort of bring it to the UK? And what else can we sort of expect, I guess, moving forward into 2018? Well, definitely would love to bring, you know, the Circle Invest product as soon as we can to Europe um, because there is definitely a lot of demand here, right? I mean, there is. crypto without a cryptic, I can see you I using it. I just love that. It's, as a tagline, that's terrific. <laughs> it's very good. But um, yeah, in our suite and in our idea of products, imagine a place where actually uh, from paying to investing to savings, you could do many, many more things with your finance, right? So yep. having the right products for your touch point and your touch life is what we're trying to do. Super exciting. And it's customer first, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a consumer-faced company. That's the point. That's terrific. Um, Marik, thank you so much for coming on Fintech Insiders. It's been a Thanks real pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Enjoy the rest of the conference. I am here with Innovate Finance's own Sophie Winwood. Sophie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Friend of the show. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Obviously, one of the orchestrators of this great event. Tell us, tell us about it. What's going on? Yeah, awesome. So, um, Innovate Finance Global Summit. It's uh, two days in the Guildhall, so in the heart of London. What we like to say about Summit, it is built for our members by our members. So, really, we're a membership organisation, and um, we kind of like to use this event to put our members on stage. You know, showcase their innovation, um, their knowledge and experience of the space, um, because. We are super proud to represent them. So this is almost like our gift to them. Love it. Your gift to them. I like that. Look, some awesome stuff kind of on display. It's a great opportunity to go around, network, talk to people, see some amazing stuff. What's been, I guess, some of your favorite stuff that you've seen so far? So what I really like about our summit is um, like in the exhibition hall down there, which is pretty cool. Um, we've got um, all of our members and it's like a startup, like you were saying, you met someone that's like been there for three days, right it. next to a Deloitte or a Hogan Lovells who've got the same balloon. So almost like putting everyone on the same space. You can go around and talk to completely different people, but in the same networking area, which is kind of cool. Um, a lot of cool stuff on um, AI, a lot of stuff on AI, hot topic as per. We love AI. <laughs> we love AI. Machine learning. <laughs> Machine learning. NLP. Exactly. All of the abbreviations, yep. you know. Love abbreviations. Um, so, Sophie, tell us a little bit about what it takes to sort of put an event like this on. Yeah, so um, what a lot of people don't know is this event is put on by about a team of 14 people. Wow. Um, we've been planning it for six to eight months. Um, it's been a lot of hard nights, um, long nights, a lot of um, Percy Pigs because we live right next to uh, M&S. Um, and... There are like a lot of unsung heroes that I kind of just want to say thank you to. So we've got an awesome um, like marketing comms team. Jess has just worked her ass off and been incredible. Um, our design girl, Susan, like has done all the branding, like all of the slides, everything. All, and that's put like the opening VT together. Um, our events team, obviously mental, 2,000 people organizing all of that. It's it just... To think that's been put together by 14 people. I did see a tweet. Um, was it like late Friday night that you put out of like a collection of very tired looking people just yeah. slogging <laughs> through to bring this great event to life. And here we are and it's hap happening. Yeah. I love it. Obviously, I mean, a great chance, as we said, to kind of talk to lots of people, you know, I mean, exhibit like some super cool things, which I guess is the point. Um, and I, for one, am very much looking forward to whatever else is coming our way over the next couple of days. Yeah, I mean, there should be some cool workshops and we've got like a live um, cyber attack simulation now in another nice. hall, so. What's gonna <laughs> happen to you when this is over? I imagine you're just gonna like curl up into a ball in bed and disappear for like five days. Yeah, I'm actually flying to New Zealand. <laughs> or that. You know, so yeah. one or the other. No rest. Um, but no, I think we'll, we'll go out for a team celebration on Tuesday with our board um, well and then yeah, a little bit of breather time for the team, which would be nice. And then Good. right back out to saving, making the fintech world a better place. I love it. 
Twitter handle. You got it in there this time. Twitter bio. Yes. Not me. <laughs> Making the fintech world a better place. Sophie Winwoods, thank you so much for coming on the show, as ever. And good luck with the rest of the summit. Thank you. Always a pleasure. <laughs> I'm here with Stephen Inglejew, CEO of Fintech Scotland. Great Stephen, to be here with you. Thank you for coming on. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's jump straight in. Let's talk about Fintech Scotland. Um, I guess, do you want to give us a little bit of background for our, uh, our listeners who are obviously very intrigued? Yes, of course, Ross. Yeah, well, first of all, Scotland yeah. wants to be as famous for Fintech as it is for salmon and whiskey. I love that. In short, yeah. um, we've got a great heritage already in Scotland around financial services, technology, yeah. innovation and skills. Fintech Scotland has been created really to bring those team players together so we can actually score more goals. I love that. So you are that bridge between, I guess, all of those resources and just making sure that you bring them together in a way that like, benefits Fintech and drives that agenda forward. Yeah, that's right. A bridge, uh, maybe also a coach. Uh, yeah. You can have some great players on the pitch. But actually, when they come together to play together as one team, that's our role as a coach to develop each as individual, whether it's around skills, the established financial services business, the tech players, the innovators, entrepreneurs. When you get a team working together, that's where you really make a difference. I love that. And I actually quite like the, uh, I guess, the sporting mentality because you guys are playing across public sector, private sector, the universities. Do you want to go tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, Fintech Scotland's been created with a three-way partnership between the Scottish government, the universities, and the private sector. So that three-way, and of course, what you've got there is a diversity of skills, yeah. ideas, and thoughts. And from that, that's where we're bringing out our creativity. It's not just about the big players changing. It's not just about entrepreneurs. It's not just about the academics having all the know-how and insight. It's bringing all those elements together. And the coaching role is interesting, isn't it? So I guess, what, what, what does that mean or how does that play out, you know, in terms of like actually looking at, I guess, the application? Yeah, well, there's it, two probably sort of sides to it. As a coach, really, you can't be on the pitch all the time. That's true. So you could be there on the training ground in bringing two players together to show how they can combine yeah. to actually to make the sum of their parts bigger than just if they looked at it individually. Um, and then in terms of bringing out what are the examples of showing actually if you do combine in this way, say a large bank with a couple of fintechs with some academic inclusion, actually how you can bring out different types of innovation that allows us say to embrace open banking in a way that isn't being embraced at the moment. It's terrific. And I guess the... Um the education element as well, partnering with the universities, you're sort of starting to supply um, really standout talent as well um, to these sorts of organizations in Scotland. Again, it's going to keep driving it forward. And also, I suppose, um, it reduces the risk of that talent migrating maybe south to London, where, you know, we've seen, I guess, what has been the sort of hub of fintech up to now. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, the, key, the key there is that Scotland has some tremendous universities already providing that core talent around those deep skills around data, data science, analytics, AI, uh, informatics, which are really key for the new digital and data economy. But of course, it's not just about those deep skills. It's also about everybody across the whole workforce of financial services will need to have a level of retraining for the digital economy at senior executive level, as well as at middle management and at supervisory level. So it's actually not just about young people coming through, it's actually about retraining people already in our, in our sectors. It's excellent. And, and so I guess, you know, while we're here, we may as well touch on, you know, what have been some of the barriers that you guys have faced? I mean, in your exceptionally young lives, what are we talking, nine weeks that you've been yes. going, but in terms of building this out, what are some of the, the challenges that you've either come up against or I suppose expect to come up against moving forward? It's, first of all, how do you bring out those examples? Those examples yeah. by bringing together large institutions and smaller enterprises working in collaboration and not being in competition with each other. So breaking that aspect of trust on both sides, yeah. trust from the innovators' point of view, they're not gonna lose their IP, trust from the large institution and they're not going to be in some form of maybe data breach at sure. some stage. Yeah. So actually by bringing them together in some in a factory environment, we call it, yeah. both virtual and physical, actually you can thrash through those ideas together and the way to do it. And with kind of the academics as well, providing a kind of a, a level of insight, it actually allows people to work collaboratively. So whilst the technology is important here, yeah. actually it's the people element that makes a difference. I love that. And, and getting, bringing people together, it sort of fosters that creativity, that element of innovation and speeds it up, I imagine, as well. It does, because yeah. you're straight into seeing the problems together. 
rather than seeing them in isolation. And different perspectives. Absolutely. And Terrific, really that's works. all it takes. Yeah, and I think what's interesting as well, because we've got some very established businesses like HSBC, Arbis, like the JP Morgan's, Morgan Stanley, like the Aberdeen Standard, as well as some tremendous tech businesses like NCR, yeah. NCR, you know, National Cash Register, 130 years old. They've been in Scotland since 1940s. Wow. And they are really dominating that change in the whole payment sector across banking, but also across retail and hospitality. We've got some great innovative fintechs that can work with them to drive forward the future innovations, not just payments in Scotland and UK, but actually globally. That's terrific. That is exciting as well, isn't it? Is, it is, yeah. Because That's what gets you excited. Well, it gets me excited because here's the opportunity to share that working with global partners. Yeah. We're, on a, we're only um, 11 weeks old, actually. So we see a lot the of potential out there. Of the journey, right? So if we can build those bridges with other global partners, yeah. hubs that are looking to grow as well and be on a journey, we can learn from them, they can learn from us. So it's a kind of a collaborative model we're looking to develop around I the world. I think this is something that has struck me in particular about the sort of global fintech movement is that openness to collaborate and learn from best practices. I think this is this new age, really. Yeah, uh, Financial services has got a reputation historically of being rather aloof yeah. and closed. Yeah. Technology is kind of breaking down those walls and those barriers. And also that's important from a people point of view, much more inclusive, respecting yeah. the value of diversity. And again, from that, then it allows you to be a much more of an international player. So while I talked about the analogy of the team, yeah, yeah we have a great Scotland team, but we want to be part of an international team as well. We That's want to be in that, top, that, that team of 11 going forward. It's, it's hard not to get, um, get swept up with your enthusiasm. <laughs> so we talked about how, um, how young you are, Stephen. What, I guess we're going to see some pretty exciting initiatives from you guys moving forward. Do you want to look a little bit of that and tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I'm sure we'll be coming to you very early on, Ross, with some of those initiatives. Yeah. Once we know those as we move into Q2 and into the springtime, particularly around how we bring together big and small, creating what we call virtual factories. Also hubs where we bring, as I said before, people together. How we develop those minimum viable education programs sure. to help people develop the skills. It's not about always going on a university degree. Yeah. And also those ideas around actually collaboration globally. Putting things into practice and holding up the examples about how we work with places like Bahrain uh, and yeah. New Zealand and parts of Europe that are quite different than what we've seen before. Absolutely. Well, look, we couldn't be more excited to see what's coming up. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm here with Hussein from Onfido. Hussein, welcome to the show. It is great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. Thank you for coming on. So um, I guess let's talk a little bit about sort of Onfido. It's a um, KYC solution, third-party KYC solution. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what, what you guys do? Absolutely. So I'm one of the three co-founders, and we set up the company almost six years ago. Our focus is, as, as you said, identity verification. So we help businesses verify the government IDs of the customers that they're onboarding. If you're a digital bank, for instance, as your users are registering to sign up, they take a photo of their government ID, front and back, and a recording of their face. And we use machine learning to verify that it's a genuine ID and that photo matches the face. And thirdly, we can run credit bureau and then watch list searches for compliance, but our core business is around identity verification. And so we've, we've sort of seen this approach to ID verification with a lot of the sort of new challenger banks, and it has completely transformed how we sign up for financial products, right? Um, I guess previously, certainly the incumbents were overly reliant on sort of in-branch verification and then I guess overly reliant on the, um, the credit bureaus um, to sort of verify the ID. I guess what drives you guys is sort of transforming that customer experience. Correct. It, it just seems like when we started the company, it seems like the current processes are a little bit out of date. Yeah. So it's either you can go inside a bank branch and you, there's a 40% drop off of new customers decision not going through to the end of the process because it can be difficult, cumbersome, and, and slow. The alternative is to rely on credit bureaus, but half the world's adult population aren't on credit bureaus either. And there are issues around the security of the credit bureau data, if it's just your date of birth, name, and address, which as a result of breaches and other things, they're essentially available on the dark web. So our technology, our approach is by not just relying on uh, something that you know, which is your date of birth, name, and address. It's something that you have, such as a government ID, and something that you are, which is your facial biometrics, it's a lot more secure and it compensates or substitute for a need to go in a bank branch and have a human eye checking your face and checking that you are the same person, the photo on the ID. Machine learning technology can very easily and scientifically prove that it's not only more scalable, but more secure when done in a digital sense. And that's where the traction came about. First with the online banks 
and now with the mainstream banks. And that's the key, right? I mean, you know, we kind of touched on factors of authentication. We're now really with these types of solutions moving away from proxies, essentially, you know, something I know or something I have like a card reader to something that I am. Um, and it comes back to your point about, yes, it is more convenient, but actually the technology means that it's also more secure and so. more accurate. Um, talk to me a little bit about the sort of, I guess, the machine learning that's sort of layered within this and, and the sort of accuracy levels there in terms of actually making um, a positive ID or a negative ID. Very good question. So it is uh, um, my co-founder, coincidentally, his university thesis was spotting wildlife using machine learning in a series of 25,000 photos of the jungle. Wow. So when we looked at how would we do a good job of verifying government IDs, he just saw that his research is directly applicable to that. And the, the essence of the machine learning models is less about the models themselves. They are sophisticated, but they're not insurmountable. The challenge is access to the same sample sets to build those models. And over the last five and a half years, just because we've been doing millions and millions, the document check, be it fraud accuracy, speed, pass rates, and so on, just improves with every single check. And that's why with the fintech communities in particular, when we partnered with the Revolution of the World and Squares of the World in the early days, it gets better and better with every check, and therefore it becomes applicable to everyone else. When it comes to onboarding the, the customers, on the flip side, if you are a potential fraudster, what always got me was that if I'm a fraudster applying to bank A, and I'm caught or prevented from opening a bank account, that's not going to make me stop. I'm going to go to bank B into bank C into bank D until I break through. So what happens is that as and when we see fraudulent documents and the machine learning models learn and sort of prevent that from being onboarded, it helps all our customers from, from essentially preventing that. So these, uh, it, it, I guess, the more sophisticated fraudsters are, continue to look at other companies that don't have as a robust onboarding process. Yeah, so actually it's, it's from a provider perspective, it's almost um, a risk not to sort of offer these solutions because it means you're that lower hanging fruit and you're more likely to be targeted by fraudsters. I guess I want to pick up on, um, you know, what you just mentioned as well around, there's a, there's a sort of social issue around um, not having accurate and sophisticated KYC elements. And that's that, you know, you set your trust thresholds to prevent fraud. But within that, you're actually excluding people from the market. And that is the sort of, um, we've talked about sort of expats, but also people maybe um, 16 to 18 who don't yet have a credit file. Um, and there, I guess, the sort of collateral damage in that space. Again, this is something that um, solutions like Onfido are helping to address, right? It goes to the core of why we set up the company in many ways. So when I turned 10, my parents moved over from Iran. They weren't able to open a bank account easily or rent after a few months just because they had to wait to be on a credit bureau. And growing up, I thought the credit bureau is the most wonderful thing, <laughs> only to then realize it's actually based on indexing your date of birth, name and address and so on. So yes, well, if you're new to the country or you've just turned 18 and you just don't happen to have a large uh, credit footprint, there is no reason why you are a less credit worthy customer. So as, as far as it counts for the digital banks, they just need to know that you are who you say you are in a legal sense, that your date of birth, name and address, your government ID is all valid and that your compliance, and in the case of a breach, such as money laundering, that can be given to law enforcement. So that's our company purpose, is to help everyone in the world be able to easily prove their legal identity in a secure way. So uh, obviously, you know, and, and, and I guess that social kickback, that's awesome, because the issue of financial exclusion is a really serious one, and one that um, hasn't yet been, I think, properly looked at and addressed. So it's great to know that, you know, that's a focus for, for guys like you, and, and, and something that you're... Um, I guess, actively targeting. Um, you know, I guess while we're on trust thresholds, um, obviously you've got the sort of AI um, that does a lot of the sort of matching ID to um, faces. Talk to me about where um, maybe the AI isn't entirely sure. What happens then? So there are two cases. One is if the samples of the document type, we don't have enough. It's a new version of a driving license. Sure. Or let's say it's a long tail country like a Mongolian driving license, for instance, that we just happened not to have had many checks on. Um, the second scenario is if, if on a, a passport is stained, yeah. We don't know if that's because it was in the washing machine and it's a genuine reason or it's because it's a sophisticated fraudster. Right. So in these scenarios, we have a human fallback that double check everything and ins that ensures that we get higher pass rates and we don't compromise in the fraud accuracy and the speed at the same time. So, so it's so an in-channel fallback. Yeah, our, our very much just because of the way and the reason why we started the company, our intention is to help onboard as many customers as possible and give them an easy experience, but whilst preventing the bad actors to spoil it for everyone at the same time. That's terrific. Um, anything kind of coming up for you guys? Big, big 
big moves in 2018? Big moves in 2018, and in some ways it's going to be the Far East. So wow. the That's US exciting. is our largest market, followed by the UK, followed by India. Uh, we, I, a few of our colleagues were at Money 2020 last week. Others are currently in Hong Kong. So the Far East has more uh, of a drive to also digitalize and, and move online in one way. The other part of it is we're increasingly being asked and, and pulled into more of a digital shared identity schemes, okay. blockchain providers sharing sure. that or other mechanisms. And that is, is both exciting and also technologically, it, it requires you to push it to the next level too. So all that keeps, on, keeps us on our toes and keep, continues to make it exciting. Yeah, you're right. I guess blockchain is probably a fairly obvious next step for you guys, right? In many ways. And the great thing with blockchain is, is that it's great for continuing the authentication piece. Yeah. But at the point of verification, at the point of registration, it's in the physical world, how do you tie yourself to that digital identity? Yeah. And that gap, uh, it's, it's in order to make it convenient, you can't tie it to just a person's email address because if I then steal your email address, I've stolen your whole identity history. So that's where the document verification and the facial recognition makes it frictionless enough and yet secure enough for you to be able to pull on that history to, to signal that you are the same person and that you ought to gain access to these different services. Yeah, it's exciting times ahead, isn't it? Yeah. Lots going on. Hussein, thank you so much for coming on the show. Real pleasure. Thanks yeah, for the invitation. Been a, been a real pleasure. Thanks for coming. And that concludes our IFGS interview special. As always, if you like what you've heard this week, come and talk to us at Fintech Insiders on Twitter or podcasts at 11fs.com if you want to send us an email. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode and please leave us a review on iTunes. Five stars only. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon, and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters, and what comes next. Bite Size goes out every Friday at 11am, so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters.